and welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to Gabriel Cardona. Gabriel Cardona is a developer evangelist at Avalanche and host of the Subnet show. In this episode, Stefan and Gabriel discuss Avalanche and Formula E, consensus, stablecoins, and how this is the best time to be alive. Enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, super excited to be here today with Gabriel Cardono. There you go. <laughs> um, Gabriel and I go way back. We worked together at Bitcoin.com and, and now you've got an amazing role at Avalanche and really getting some deep insights. Uh, maybe instead of me saying what you're doing now, maybe you just want to give a quick introduction to the audience about yourself and, uh, and, and sort of yeah what you're doing today at Avalanche. Sure, absolutely. <clears throat> you can hear me okay? Everything good? Yeah, nice. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me. It's awesome to reconnect with Stefan. As he mentioned, we go way back. Uh, we were both at Bitcoin.com a few years ago. And um, while I was there, I was actually doing developer services. So I had a, a startup that did Bitcoin Cash um, technical SDKs and cloud services, and it was acquired by Bitcoin.com. So I was there doing... Um, the director of developer services. And then I found out about Avalanche in 2018 and I stepped away from all the labs, or I'm sorry, I stepped away from Bitcoin.com at the end of 2019. And uh, right after I stepped away, Goon and Kevin, who were the two co-founders at Ava Labs, reached out to Chris Troutner. You remember, remember Trout? Yep, yep. And, and they were like, hey, we love developer.bitcoin.com. Do you want to do something like that for the Avalanche ecosystem? And fortunately for me, Chris was like, you know, I don't want to leave Bitcoin Cash yet. But you should reach out to Gabriel anyway. He's the guy who built all of this stuff. So I got connected with Goon and Kevin, and they were looking for somebody to do uh, developer services at Ava Labs. And so I joined, actually, this month is my two-year, I think in two days is my two-year wow. anniversary. Yeah, so I joined before we went to the main net, before we raised capital. Um, it was a good time to join. It, I think that I, I, I believe I was employee number 23. I might have been 24, 25, but we're just now about to cross 200. So, you know, we're growing rapidly. And uh, I do developer services. So I help, um, I maintain Avalanche JS. So that's the most technical part of my job is that I do some engineering on the day to day. I maintain our TypeScript and JavaScript library. Yep. And then I also travel around the world and do conferences and meetups and hackathons. Like this last week, we were just in Berlin. We had an avalanche house there for the Formula E race. And I was in Barcelona before that and Lisbon before that. So helping to inspire developers and get them super jazzed about avalanche and hoping to build on our platform. And then I also do partner integral. My team does partner integrations. So as you might imagine, there's just tons and tons of teams and companies and startups that are on ramping into avalanche. They want they have a lot of FAQ and they need somebody to hold their hand and help them into the ecosystem. So we do a lot of that on the day to day as well. And what do you see as, you know, sort of, I mean, it's amazing. So one hand, you're, you're, you're spending a lot of time in Europe, right? Lisbon, Barcelona, Berlin. Um, and, and so why, why Europe? Um, and, and then, yeah, that'd be, let's just start there. Why, why, why do you see so many developers coming out of Europe? I think in our particular case, um, we uh, recently signed a deal with uh, Andretti Formula E Racing. So we yep. have like a market. A marketing partnership there yep. and so we are, we are having um events that are in concert with the different formula e the e pre as yep. they call it that's happening around yep. the world so yep. that's one of the reasons we've been going to europe is simply our business partnerships have been drawing us there and so that's why i was there this last week 
um, we made an announcement that going forward, um, Porsche is actually going to provide the powertrain and other support services for the Avalanche Andretti. Uh, I'm sorry, Avalanche Andretti I, Formula E car. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So, so good. Good There's set of lag. partners there, and a lot of partners. We got a lag here, right? That's all good. Um, Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, a lot of partners there, and 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 yeah, I mean, it seems really interesting. I mean, Formula E has really come a long way, um, and it's also electricity, right? Electric cars, so it's really interesting. And the interesting thing about Formula E, what and electric cars, what a lot of people don't understand is a lot of it's software based, right? It's it's the software that steers the car, controls the car. It's not a combustion engine. It's the software that decides when to connect to the batteries and when to and how to accelerate and stuff like that. So it's um, that was really that was the connect between us and them. Avalanche yeah. is the most we 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 market ourselves as perhaps the greenest blockchain um, platform out there because Avalanche consensus is a really big paradigm shift. So there's yeah. like. We, we live and breathe this stuff every day, and we know that there is a thousand new projects every single day. There is an absolute um, word salad of different techno babble that gets thrown at you. So it's very easy for people to um, – I understand when I when people are still not up to speed on Avalanche, despite us oh. having been on our mainnet for almost two years. There's just a lot going on, and I understand. Yeah. Um, Avalanche really is a <clears throat> genuine paradigm shift. There have been two um, fields of consensus – in computer science prior to avalanche consensus, there's so-called classical consensus, and it goes back to the 70s and the 80s. And then there is Nakamoto consensus. And it's one of the reasons that Bitcoin blew up in the very beginning with actual academics and computer science and professionals. These people appreciated that, no, there is actually something very special happening here. This person, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he or they or she were, they solved a really big problem in computer science that hasn't been hasn't had any breakthroughs in 30 years. And so we see avalanche consensus as being the third major breakthrough in the field of consensus. And it's really a big leap forward because um, we have this sub-second finality. So if anybody's ever worked in a blockchain space, even in Ethereum, where the blocks are relatively fast at 15 or 20 seconds apiece, it still feels glacier when you compare it to the UI that we're used to with Web2, which is nearly instantly. And so Avalanche Consensus has this sub-second mutable reversible finality. As soon as you scan the QR code, your transaction is done and you're on your way. And then we get thousands of transactions per second on top of that. And we have subnets. There's all this exciting stuff happening. So the sort of the Venn diagram of what is Andretti doing with Avalanche is some of it's from a marketing perspective. And that's simply that we are the greenest ecosystem out there and we're incredibly fast. There are the green, you know, Epri is the greenest um, racing out there. And of course, Andretti is the best, right? And then some of it, like you said, is also on the technical side of things. As you mentioned, these cars are basically supercomputers on wheels. When you see them, it's absolutely yeah. amazing. And they don't, they don't burn any gas at all. So, you know, there's a lot of potential overlap between um, Andretti and uh, Ava Labs. And then also just on the sustainability front, um, I'm a huge, huge, huge believer that uh, necessity is the mother of invention and yep. that we will in fact create technology which is uh, brings nature into balance within yep. our lifetime because if we don't we're basically screwed so yep. it's sort of like we, we either solve this problem or we don't and we fell in a big way and so i'm just a big believer that um, strictly out of necessity humans will figure out a way to create technology which is in balance and we're seeing that with these formula e cars we're seeing that with uh, the avalanche consensus where it's incredibly incredibly green i don't know if you saw uh, i i should have had this brought up but i didn't know we were going to talk about this recently there was a study that was released that shows how much energy um 
Bitcoin burns and Ethereum burns and Avalanche burns. And Bitcoin obviously is way more than even Ethereum and Ethereum is way more than Avalanche, but they burn thousands and thousands and thousands of percent more energy. Avalanche consensus is what's called quiescent. So basically it just chills out if there's no consensus messages being passed around. And so um, the cool thing about Avalanche is that it can be it can be generalized to work with non-binary problems. So not only confirmed or unconfirmed, you can have, let's say, five different states and the way our subnets work, uh, our subnets and our virtual machines are incredibly, incredibly um, general and generic. So, yeah. you know, in the case of, uh, let's say, Ethereum, where they have smart contracts, you know, the contract data structure that you see in a line of in a, in a body of code, um, it does one thing and it does it really well, but it's not super gener uh, generic in general. With Avalanche Consensus in our subnets, you can spin up subnets that do all kinds of stuff, not just financial transactions. And so I predict and i believe that avalanche is going to be end up using in all kinds of different systems not in these crypto systems so um i think there's just a huge opportunity for sustainability and sort of this green movement and i'm happy to be working on a project which is part of that movement and then we're seeing fruits with you know um andretti just, and now porsche also in the party yeah yeah, no, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, that's really topical, right? If you think about what happened this week or last week, actually, it was where the ES, you know, S&P ESG index excluded mm -hmm. Tesla from the index instead of having, mm -hmm. you know, and then having six oil companies in there because they were more ESG friendly. So it was actually interesting seeing that happen whilst, you know, we are not aware of that. I don't know yeah. the details there. So it had some slick marketing on their end or what exactly do you think is happening there? No, I, I'm, you know, they're, they've excluded Tesla from it. I feel they, they didn't feel Tesla was ESG compliant, right? Even though they're fully electric, you know, they brought electric cars to the world. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there are a bunch of other elements in there, right? In, in, in ESG, it's not just environment, right? It's also social and governance. And maybe there were other yeah. factors on the social and the governance side that they are trying to enforce onto gotcha. merit run businesses right mm -hmm. um, so gotcha. it's like but anyway yeah so that was an interesting sort of sidestep but one of the things i'm going to come back to the idea around you know the fast finality that you were talking about right we were bitcoin cash we're working on this pre-consensus model that would allow us to also have extremely fast execution right um but i think Avalanche has taken this to the next level. And I remember it was actually you who showed this to me, the whole Snowball white paper, right? I mean, that was like, I think it was 2018 or something like that, where we, we were talking about that and that consensus model. So I suppose that's now the foundation for the consensus model at Avalanche, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're precisely right. So yeah, in 2018, um, he and I were already solving, working on attempts to solve this problem. And yeah. so I was in Milan in 2018 in Milan, Italy. We had a Satoshi's Vision Conference. It was put on yeah. by, uh, not, not Bitmain, Bitcoin Unlimited um, with yeah. uh, those amazing folks. And so while we were there, um, Kevin and Goon, again, the co-founders of Ava Labs, um, Goon was famously a professor at Cornell for 20 years, and Kevin was one of his uh, students. They woke up, I believe, at 4 a.m. Ithaca, New York time and gave us a presentation on using avalanche consensus um, with Nakamoto consensus for both pre and post consensus. So there's a lot going on there. It's like a, it's like a consensus Oreo. So on one side, you have 
uh, avalanche consensus for pre-consensus. Yep. Then you go through the traditional Nakamoto consensus every 10 minutes, a block um, voted on by proof of work. And then you round it out with the other side of the sandwich, which is um, uh, avalanche for post-consensus. And so Amory Sachet, who is uh, one of the co-creators of Bitcoin Cash, and now yep. he's the main guy behind um, eCash, eCash and uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin ABC is yep. his team. Um, he gave a presentation called, I think it was called Embrace the Dag or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. so um, I, at that very meeting in Milan in 2018 is when the light went on for me for Avalanche because I immediately understood the problem it was solving. And that's this, you know, immutable, irreversible sub-second finality with thousands of transactions per second. Basically what I have been calling this coming of age moment for the blockchain. And so I, I pitched this a lot in my tribe. Let me pitch it to your tribe real quick. So the way I have been seeing this is like so. When the web first came out in the mid-90s, um, similar to the blockchain, there were a lot of computer scientists and academics and professionals. They, they and professors, these people understood that, hey, you know, the web has the potential to change everything. Yep. And then they started playing around with the technology and they realized, you know, maybe this technology is not as mature as a desktop application. When I use this web app in circa 1996, uh, it's just not quite as good as a native Windows app. I don't think the technology is ready. And so the, the dot-com bubble happened around 99, 2000. A lot of people made a lot of money. Then the bubble popped and a lot of money rushed out. And that was the dot-com era. But people who saw the original vision continued to stay true to the game and continued you know, busting their butt every day. And around 2004, 2005, we saw the emergence of what has since been called Web 2.0. So yep. there was an emergence of several different things, primarily what's known as Ajax, asynchronous JavaScript and XML, but there was also the emergence of modern web standards like CSS and HTML and ECMAScript. All of these things started coming into focus and the web experienced this coming of age moment where then it did in fact fulfill its potential and it became rad radically transformative and changed everybody's lives around us to the fact that we're now having this meeting over the web, right? Yeah. And so similarly, when the blockchain emerged in 2008, 2009, people were like, okay, here we go again. This has the potential to change everything. But for for 10 years, you know, there's been this roadblock or this barrier to entry or whatever, and it just hasn't matured yet. To me, Avalanche Consensus really represents this coming of age moment where now we do in fact have this thousands of transactions per second for each blockchain and you can launch your own application on its own blockchain so imagine every single dap gets thousands of transactions per second this immutable um sub-second finality these super super inexpensive fees and so now we're going to witness the blockchain have a coming of age moment and it's going to be as radically transformative and fulfill its potential and so um, I had been waiting for that to happen. Yeah, cut me off at any moment. Go, go. You have a thought. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, no. I just, I, I just, you know, it just brings home a lot of memories, right? Because in the end, when I, the reason why I got into Bitcoin back in 2000 and whenever it was, you know, um, uh, the gas, it was just Bitcoin at the time. Gas fees were super low and finality was really quick because it wasn't congested. So, it, you know, the yeah. confirmations were really quick. And that was in the, like a Zoom. I mean, in those days, I was using Skype, right? We were doing Skype calls and, the transfers happened instantaneously. And we were trying to do that at Bitcoin Cash because I think what we've realized in this last crash, what one thing that has happened is, you know, we're, we have to build a currency that has more than just financial, you know, price go up. And, you, you know, it has to have utility, right? Number one, yeah. utility to use the compute power and, and resources that the network is providing, e.g. the Avalanche community, all the node operators, the validators, et cetera. 
and as well be able to use it in real life so I can pay for goods with it, right? And I think we lost that touch. I mean, obviously the DeFi elements and there are lots of financial instruments and products out there that we're putting on chain, which is brilliant, right? But I think we also struggle there with regulatory hurdles, right? And especially in Europe, I mean, what the, what the regulators there are trying to do is just really, uh, it's, it's amazing to me how they just want to push the innovation to Asia and to the US, right? So it's great for us yeah. here, right? <laughs> but it's, it's just going to backfire in their face. They're just oh, going, to, it's going to backfire. They're going to, come, they're going to show up at the party anyway, but they're just going to be late and they're going to miss the first mover advantage. And as you mentioned, Asia is going to leapfrog over them. And yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, but also um, look, the top, the top companies, they're no longer in Europe. They're not coming out of Europe. The engineering talent, that they, and they have great talent, right? They've got great universities. They've got great, um, you know, research labs. Uh, yeah. And, and, but the monetization of that, you know, happens elsewhere. And so I think that's, that's great for the rest of the world. And how, how, how do right. we part, you know, but, so, but yeah, that's, that's yeah. So, yeah, I was going to finish off my sort of storyline there. So basically yeah. the story being that um, we saw Omri Sachet give a presentation called yeah. Don't Fear the Dagger, Embrace the Dagger or something. And he was at the time pitching, hey, you know, Bitcoin Cash has this thing called zero conf. So if anybody remembers yeah. back in the very, very original time, like Stefan was mentioning, back in the old OG Bitcoin days, there was this idea of zero conf where yeah. basically um, you could send a transaction and as long as – the the risk exposure is is uh, per each person. So there's no there's no hard number I can give you here and say anything less than ten thousand dollars is safe. That it doesn't work that way. It's more about your risk exposure. But for most people, a certain amount of transactions, which again, I, it's hard to give a direct number, but you know, like ten thousand or less or so, you could be confident that you could accept that with zero confirmation simply because the topography of the network by the time it it got pushed out to all these different nodes, it would be way too challenging to issue it on another node and basically um, have the second transmission beat the first transmission. Somewhere along the way, for whatever reasons, I'm not judging negative or positive, the BTC core developers removed that and replaced it with something called replace by fee, which is whenever the blocks get super high, you can issue your transaction again and pay a little bit more money and bump it to the top of that auction because it's an auction market. You're auctioning off for a resource that's limited. And so zero conf got replaced by um, yeah exactly and, yeah, and, and that's that's part of a lot of the vitriol between the BTC and the BCH tribe which yeah. I no longer care about myself but um, but basically Omri was pitching at the time even in Milan to hey um, what if we had a Bitcoin system Bitcoin Cash that leveraged Nakamoto consensus and so when you say um, is, is this avalanche consensus at the heart of avalanche the network it is now obviously avalanche the network that i'm working on today is not the same as the eCash system which omri launched um that is is a derivative of bitcoin via bitcoin cash so bitcoin cash forked into bitcoin forked into eCash. um avalanche is a network that we launched from scratch uh, in august 2020 so we're right at right below two years and we've had some absolutely insane milestones um I, when i was in berlin we had just crossed, I'd say today we're probably like 175 million transactions on our, our on our C chain. And so we've had several different um, uh, initiatives which have really helped take us to the next level. In the very beginning, we had this grants program, Avalanche X for grants. And so a lot of the original dApps that launched on our network, we funded through the form of grants. And yep. then whenever we were 
software. Um, we've also had Avalanche uh, Blizzard, which is like a 200 or $250 million investment fund for ecosystem. Yeah. We also have um, Multiverse, which is uh, basically an initiative for um, to pay, uh, not to incentivize developers to launch their own subnets. We also have the Culture Create Culture Catalyst Fund, which we announced in um, Barcelona a couple months back. And Grimes is the first person that's going live on that. She's creating an NFT metaverse book. There's one more, but it's slipping my mind at the second. I'll think of it. But we had another one for Blue Chip Daps that we announced in uh, Barcelona that was basically an incentivization program to incentivize Blue Chip Daps to come over from other ecosystems. So it ended up working out really well for the Avalanche Foundation because all of the funds that we set aside in the very beginning were um, allocated in Avox. Yeah. And then the price of Avox went very much higher. And so we ended up having a lot more capital than we thought we were going to. And so um, the Avalanche ecosystem is absolutely blowing up. Um, we just now are reaching the point where we have uh, subnets are coming into focus. So re recently the DeFi Kingdom launched their own subnet and then Krabata, which is a game, uh, launched their own subnet recently. And the reason that's really pow powerful is because, as I mentioned before, we see this world of application-specific blockchains. So one of the cool things you can do in Avalanche is you can launch your own instance of the EVM and launch your dApp specifically on it. And, and then you get all of that network throughput and finality and you don't have to share it with any other developers. And so we have this, we envision this world we're calling the internet of finance where we have these thousands and thousands of these subnets and they can all do cross subnet swaps. So when you spin up a subnet, you immediately get access to the billions of dollars of TVL locked on our C chain. You immediately get access to the you know thousands or hundreds of thousands or whatever it is of users that exist on our C chain. And all you have to do is have them hop over and it's the same user experience as any other bridging. So if you're used today to bridging between Avalanche and Binance or whatever, it's the same user experience. And so when you launch your own subnet, you get these thousands and thousands of transactions and you can customize the blockchain to however you want it. You can have you know, an EVM, you can have a DAG, you can have a linear blockchain, you can do so much. The Avalanche Network is incredibly expressive and it's been an incredibly, incredibly exciting journey. And I'm really glad I got to join when I did because yeah. I've just seen so much happen in two years. Yeah. It's been outrageous. Would you say that subnet model and the C chain is sort of similar to the sort of Polkadot and their parachains and what they've launched or what, you know, what is it? Cosmos call their zones, right? So they have the core Cosmos hub and then everything sort of builds off around it. Yeah, it's very similar. In fact, when people ask me who are your all's biggest competitors, I always bring up Cosmos and Polkadot because they're much more so than Ethereum 2.0 or something like that. The difference being is the security. So when you launch yeah. on Polkadot, um, I, I, I'm no Polkadot expert, so if somebody's out yeah. there watching this, forgive me, but there's, I believe there's only like 200 slots on the polka chain or whatever it is, and you on have to auction chain. for yeah. Yeah, that it, it's it's not like that in, in Avalanche, of course. There's as many subnets as you want. You, want you however, uh, yeah, you, however, have to incentivize these subnet validators to come and validate your, your chain. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, some people think that's a pro, some people think that's a con, but um, it's different than Polkadot and Cosmos in that regard. You're in, it's up to you to incentivize. However, that gives you a bunch of expressibility. So whenever you fire up your own asset, you fire up your own subnet, you can use... Um, your own token to pay the fees. You can have the fees be whatever model you want. You can burn them like we do, or you can give them back to the miners. There's all kinds of different ways that you can play it. And so we decided that it would be, we, we thought it was a better play to give developers the option to do what they want. 
And so one of the things that I've always thought is weird about Polkadot, and this isn't a shot at their system, I'm sure it's amazing and there's some really smart guys and gals building it, but it always seemed weird to me that there was only 200 slots on the parachain and that you have to auction them off every year. And I always thought, what if you launch the next Facebook and then somehow you screw up and you don't win the auction, you know, you lose your DAP basically, yeah. um, presumably workarounds, but I don't know what they are, but, um, but yeah, I would say when people ask me who are our closest competitors, I say, um, Polkadot and, um, Cosmos, but I think really we're doing something even big and beyond what they're doing. We're building the internet of finance. And yeah. so I keep telling people that akin to the people who built, you know, the DARPANET in the late sixties and the people who built the TCP IP stack in the early seventies, it's been 50 years since they built TCP IP. And I would argue that their work is having a greater impact every single day because every single day the web becomes even more and more ubiquitous and more and more transformative. And so I'm confident that the work we're doing now is going to resonate and have impact for generations. I don't think it'll take 50 years for our work to have impact because the pace, of change is <laughs> well, the pace of change is accelerating. In the next 10 yeah. years, we're going to experience more technological innovation than we did in the previous 100 years. So it's not going to take 50 years. So I was at a I was at a meeting on Sunday, um, and we had a brainstorming session with some really big whales. And one of the things that we you know we were trying to identify how big is the overall blockchain community, and how big is the participants in the various crypto projects, right? And we sort of came to numbers that maybe 500 million people around the world have got crypto in some form or fashion, right? Even if it's just you know, a Satoshi or a couple of sats on their Robinhood account or whatever it might be, right? Um, and I think that's, that's a that's fair, what, I think that's a fair guess. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you break that down into DeFi, right? And so, okay, of those, how many are really the sort of non-custodial financial participants in all of this? Not just on exchange during the trading, but actually really in the DeFi world. Um, and and we came to a number that is around anywhere between ten to twenty million. Mm -hmm. Wow, you think um, is this so that, that seems small to me? So you think we're dealing with ten to twenty million are the people who are doing DeFi? Yeah, the way I have been saying it is um, everybody is sort of familiar with the bell curve of adoption, right? And on the bell curve of adoption, it's a typical bell curve. And over on this side, you have the very, very smallest sliver. That's the innovators. That's the, the Satoshis of the world. Then going a little bit bigger, you have the early adopters. That's sort of what we've been doing for the last 10 years. And then you get yep. into that first big hump of the of the center of the bell curve, and that's mainstream. And then the other side of the hump is sort of like the laggards. And then as you tell off, it's kind of like the people who are never going to update no matter what you do. Yeah. And so no I kind of feel like we are definitely in the, we're moving into the mainstream phase. It's obvious the blockchain is going mainstream right now. So that's the opportunity. All of the developer, all of the um, tooling, all of the user experience stuff, all of the custodial services, all of the enterprise handholding, all of the stuff that it's going to take to on ramp. You said you think a half a billion people. So that's one seven, or I'm sorry, that's one 14th of the planet or so. Um, that's that's, that seems reasonable in my opinion. So now we need the people to come in and um, pardon the horrible cliche, but give us the iPhone of crypto. Give us the Macintosh of crypto. Give us the thing that can take us from command line utilities to GUIs. Yeah. That's what we're waiting for. Yeah, so, so it's really user experience, right? But I also do think that the finality element is really going to enhance mm -hmm. the, that the, 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 the Satoshi vision, really. I mean, you know, of a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, right? What does that look like? And if I can do a remittance from my MetaMask to my, you know, um, Phantom wallet, mm -hmm. bang, bang, right? And it happens instantaneously um, and, mm -hmm. and it closes out, then that is so... That is such a satisfying experience that I think 
once people start witnessing that, that all of a sudden that exchange of value really provides a unique user experience, right? Um, right. And so, why yeah. do you think it is? Why do you think it is that remittance has not become the killer app of crypto? So for people who don't know, let me let me butcher what a remittance is. A remittance is when you grow up in a poorer nation and you go work in a wealthier nation and you send your money back to your family. That's how I think about remittance payments. I'm sure there's some subtlety there, but that's sort of like the super high level. In my mind, remittance has been the killer app of crypto since forever and a day ago. Um, why has it not taken off as the killer app of crypto? I think it's still, you know, my view is is, is ultimately that finality, right? When it happens instantaneously, and people are okay. really scared, right? If I have to pay five Bitcoin and I've got to wire that and I send it to the wrong address, oh my God, it's, 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 I'm not ready to do that. Right. And that's why yeah. the second user experience that I think has been created and we haven't maximized that really well is actually the stable coin. Well, because yeah. the stable coin is a flat coin. It, it doesn't provide volatility and people feel super comfortable that I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be the guy that spent 11 million on a pizza, right? I don't want to be that guy, right? I, and, and, and be laughed at at the end. I mean, psychologically, there's no, it's just purely psychologically. That's the only reason. And that's why it's a great user experience. Because mm -hmm. if I have to go and take my Bitcoin, I have to convert it into a USDT or a C, whatever I'm converting into. And then once I've converted it, then I can, but I still had that exchange rate at that time to convert my BTC. So it would be the same. But sure. marketing-wise, it, it just psychologically, it would have such a big impact, and it has, right? And so how do we now combine those two into an amazing experience? Yeah, so I want to talk about what you've been building really quickly. Um, so when I was at Bitcoin.com, I won't put the person's name on docs because I respect their privacy, but one of the engineers on my team used to convert 80% or 85% of his paycheck because we used to get paid in Bitcoin Cash, at least I did, yeah. and we okay. paid Bitcoin Cash. And so he would immediately turn 85% of his Bitcoin cash into a tether, I think at the time, it might've been USDC, yeah. I don't remember. But, um, you know, he was like, hey man, I, I, I'm, on, I'm not able to play the volatility game. I have family, I have kids, you know, I have, so I have to be sure that the salary I'm getting is the salary I'm getting. And um, so he would do that immediately. So I remember even then kind of being like, that's a damn good use of a stable coin. And yeah. stable coins like, um, you know, what has prevented crypto from going mainstream? I thought we've all thought about it so many times. And one of them is volatility. There's no question about it. Merchants just cannot live in a world where at the end of the day, their um, capital can go up or down by 50%. They would love for it to go up, but they can't live in the world where it goes down. A lot of these merchants are on razor thin margins as it ends. So if you're talking about 20% yep. difference, they're out of business. And so um, I, I think that's a good way to circle back to what you guys have been researching and building. Do you want to um, talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I mean, we've, we, a couple of things, right? I mean, we felt that prices, not only is the crypto market volatile, the fiat market's really volatile. And Absolutely. not only is the fiat stock market volatile, you also have this stable coin, the US dollar or the renminbi or the UK pound or the euro that is yeah. allegedly super stable. And yeah. when they print trillions of dollars, we just felt that that was not a way that you can keep a currency stable and the impact always comes later. And especially if you don't have a monopoly environment anymore, right? And they are, you know, and they've lost the monopoly, right? With crypto coming in, all of a sudden there are different currencies there. Um, yep. And it's not governed by a centralized um, jurisdiction anymore, mm -hmm. um, particularly not the cryptocurrencies. And so 
either way, you know, there is inflation. We now have inflation and we spotted that two years ago. And so we built Trueflation and, and we basically are now aggregating hundreds of millions of data points um, into one on a daily basis in real time, you know, from various online sources. Not mm -hmm. manually, not anything, and it's super transparent. We provide it open source on a GitHub repo, and we're now trying to figure out what are the products that we could build out of this. And one of those products is ultimately a coin that's going to be pegged or tied to the inflation of a given nation. Got it. So walk that out for me a little bit, because I know what stable coins do. They prevent me. They 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 protect me from the volatility of the crypto markets. Yeah. But it sounds like you're talking about a subsequent protection that is a volatility against inflation. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, exactly. So basically, the price will go up based on inflation. So if inflation's 13, the value of your coin is not one dollar anymore. It's one dollar 13. It's um, amazing. And amazing. yeah, so wow. that's that's. Um, and it's got, it's got to be collateralized. I think one thing that we learned um, is the fact that you can't just have a purely algorithmic stablecoin with no collateral back behind it. Um, and I think the team at Terra, they realized that. And so they were trying to build it. I think there were maybe two months, you know, behind, in two months time, they would have had a 50 to 60 to 80% collateralization, which would have made it a lot more stable. But you know, as it turned out, they didn't. So a lot of people, unfortunately, lost their money. But so did a lot of institutions and, and a lot of those accredited investors as well. Right. So um, but either way, I think um, you need collateral backed. Right. And if you look at examples like Bolt and Frax, what they've done is they've shown that with an 80 percent collateralization, you can have mm -hmm. an algorithmic element to that, just covering maybe 20 percent of the exposure and trying to hold the peg. Yeah, that's so incredibly um, exciting. I can't wait to see that come to fruition. So what is yeah. the what does the roadmap and timeline look like? Yeah, so we we were excited, you know, and 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 I was in uh, just at West Palm Beach at Permissionless, and mm -hmm. which I'll come in, which was more permissioned than it was permissionless. <laughs> but, <laughs> so everybody there was talking about permission and 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 insights and AML and KYC, and there was yeah. very little about oh, how do we provide an amazing user experience how right. do we and what we're talking about now and i think the developers we need to let the developers rip because they're going to create that user experience somebody in the back door of a room behind five screens or two screens is going to come up with the great user experience right and, and that's what we want and, and how do we not squash them and make it so difficult for them with regulation on top of regulation on top of regulation that they need to have at least $5 million in legal fees before they can even launch their product, which is going to be such a prohibitor for them to get going. But neither here nor there, we just launched Trueflation on Avalanche, right? And so that was for us. And, and we were at the Avalanche event in, 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 at Permissionless. So it was really good to sort of see that. And just seeing the ecosystem on top of Avalanche was super impressive, right? And um, so we met with some of the great DeFi companies uh, out there. And ultimately, what we're now trying to do is how do we get into more and more wallets? How do we get into proofs, you know, uh, uh, point of sale uh, devices mm -hmm. so that ultimately we can sort of enable a real utility for a coin um, that, that people will appreciate? Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So was was Trueflation already live on other EVM networks? 
Yeah, it was. We were on other EVMs and it was really quick. I think within three days, we got it across from Ethereum onto uh, Avalanche or one developer alone. He got it all across and, and ported and built an adapter that now runs on the Chainlink service on Avalanche. Right. So Amazing. So, uh, Amazing. so is there, are so, you guys issuing on Avalanche or bridging over from Ethereum? Or both? No, we're 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 doing both. We're doing both. That's exciting, man! I didn't realize yeah. you guys were actually live and issuing on Avalanche. That's huge. Is there any press yeah. I can share? You guys yeah, no. Posts? We just uh, I think yeah we should we have some Twitter feeds. I'll share those with you. I'll put yeah. them in the link below so people can see. <laughs> um, and and so once we get that, then uh, we also shared it in the Avalanche community. Uh, the team's been really helpful under John and stuff. So Matthew has been really a, a really good champion for us. Um, and been introducing yeah. us to everybody, so it was really good and helpful. We didn't take you up on the grants, though. Damn it! <laughs> um, <laughs> next time, <laughs> yeah. I was say, next time, I'm sure there's another opportunity. But I think what we're looking for is just more use cases, right? How do we build a community around this and use cases? Because in crypto land, I feel the belief in the existing inflation number that is being presented to us from the existing institutions is not an accurate reflection of what's happening on the ground. When you go to the gas pump, you feel it's more than 8.5%, right? And you go back a year ago, it's way more, right? Um, you feel the same when you go into the supermarket, when your shopping cart is less and less and less, right? I mean, we've been talking about that in, in crypto for, I don't know how many years, right? Whereas one Bitcoin gets you more and more and more, right? So it's the total opposite of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, how do we address that and how do we make and hold, number one, the institutions today just give an alternative so there is something else that people can opt in for? And how do we identify the use cases that developers want to build using this data, right? What is that use case? What are those mar markets? And we're seeing in finance, as you're talking finance, one of the biggest areas as is, is the whole financial industry. I want to make sure that my dollar that I have in my bank account doesn't lose in real term in, va in value. How do I hold and retain the value of that? And there are these products called TIPS, um, tre uh, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. So you like buy a bond and in the bond, they're underwriting inflation, right? And inflation as the BLS publishes it. Um, and so you actually get to hold that. But of course, if real inflation is 11.5% and the government inflation is 8.5%, there's mm -hmm. still a discrepancy of 3%. Mm -hmm. There's huge arbitrage and perps and products to be built in that this dif difference, right? And how do we find developers to help us build those? And what mm -hmm. can we do to subsidize their development in that direction? We did a hackathon together with Chainlink. Love to participate with hackathons with, with your developer community uh, in the Avalanche e ecosystem. And we're talking to most of the DeFi players about these um, who are building maybe synthetic assets, maybe tokenizing real world assets and, and, and building, you know, taking those securities and tokenizing them to provide an additional layer of liquidity. Who knows? But we'd love to be working right now. At the moment at Trueflation, we're 12 people. Wow, you guys got a lot done with 12 people. Yeah, we we did. Um, we've been running. I mean, I'd say started really about six months ago, and and we've got some really good partners. Um, we've got C squared came in as an investor uh, or purchased um, in tokens. 
And then we have um, uh, Fundamental Labs, which have a big mining and a big network as well. I've been in Bitcoin for the biggest since the beginning. And then Chainlink, right? Chainlink is also a key sponsor and a, a key partner, and they've been super helpful. And and yeah, so that's that sort of really helped us scale really quickly. And we've got some amazing talent um, that's joined the team from Nielsen, from Pimco, from Bloomberg, from Bitmex. You know, sort of real rocket scientists slash yeah mm-hmm. nerds and and developers, as well as marketing and product managers that know how to aggregate data and, and structure that. So. Yeah, I think to touch on what you were saying, um, again, I'll 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 say the phrase, the necessity is the mother of invention. It's a good phrase I like to repeat often. And in the same way that I was saying, I'm a big believer that we will solve the problem of the environment changing for no other reason that it's catastrophic catastrophic if we don't. So we have to solve it. There's a necessity. Um, I believe the same thing for our financial systems. Um, I think it's very clear that everybody's sort of waking up with a hangover and saying, holy shit, this is the way we've been living is not sustainable. So we're zooming out and saying, yeah, there's a lot of things that we've been doing that have been great for the party, but I think the party is almost over. And so now we've kind of got to have a little bit of foresight into what we're going to do tomorrow when we wake up with this crazy hangover. And so we're solving um, the environment and we're also going to solve the financial markets. And the, the, the necessity is the mom and pop who literally their, their purchasing power is just plummeting. And so every day when they go, now they've got to decide between do they want this amount of fuel? Do they need clothes? Do they need books? Do they need, there's just not enough to go around. And despite you know wages going up, the cost of the standard of living is going down for people simply because inflation yeah. is out of the freaking roof. And when you look at these charts, I'm sure you guys have seen it. There's this chart that shows how many USD have been printed over all of the years of the United States history. And in 20, uh, 2020, it was like, boom, like astronomical, <laughs> same chart, enough to where you, your jaw drops and you realize that is the definition of non-sustainable. We have people who would literally have their finger on the print button and they're just like, print, print, print. And there's no repercussions, but there are repercussions. They may not see the immediate repercussions, but from where you're sitting as a human citizen who d- depends on currency to buy you the stuff you need to survive, there are absolutely absolutely repercussions. And so again, necessity being the mother of invention, I'm confident that we are going to start. We already are seeing the change. We're already seeing yeah. the change. Yeah. Now it's about it's just acceleration and adoption and getting the right legal frameworks in place. Again, because we're going mainstream, now we're going to be having the impact of everybody in the world. And so there's definitely going to be re- legal regulations and frameworks what's come into place which is another reason I really love Avalanche as a platform. We have this whole idea of regulatory compliance built into the network. So in the primitives that we offer, the ability to spin up your own subnet and to launch your own virtual machines, you can have a full spectrum of completely permissionless all the way to totally locked down and permissioned with KYC, everything built in and everything in between. So we don't force you into any one way of thinking. We give you the tools to articulate the solution you need to suit your particular, you know, um, regulatory framework and world you live in. And so, uh, again, that was one of the things that really jazzed me about Avalanche early on is that we have regulatory compliance built into our platform, which is a big, big, big part of the next story of the blockchain evolution. That, that's that's super cool, right? And I think one of the things is what are the tool sets that developers use when they build dApps and envir- and and use and work with the subnet? I mean, do they what 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 tools do they use? So today, um, a lot of the stuff we've been seeing is built around the EVM, 
So, of course, the yep. Ethereum virtual machine won in a big way. We could live in a different world where the Bitcoin virtual machine won. But despite Bitcoin being the big player, I think it's clear to anybody who lives and breathes this stuff, yeah. Ethereum, Ethereum won in a big way. And they yep. won by making it open source and forkable. Yep. So some people hate the finances of the world. Some people hate the what, whatever your favorite fork is of the EVM. I don't live in that world. I live in the world where I want the blockchain to fulfill its destiny and uplift the human condition in my lifetime. That's the world I live in. So if, if it happens to be with the technology I'm building, hell yeah. If it happens to be with another person's technology, that's actually okay to me too, because the end story yeah. is that the blockchain fulfilled its destiny and radically changed the lives of people all around the world for the positive. So today, you know, 85, 90% of the work we see is happening in the EVM. So we have, um, Developer tooling, of course. Um, first off, our C chain, which is an instance of the EVM, we call it Core ETH. It has 100% backwards compatibility with existing Ethereum developer tooling. So if you use Remix or MetaMask or Hardhat or Truffle or Hardhat, all of those stuff, okay, it all right. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I'm sure your developer experienced. All you have to do is add a new network ID, deploy your contract to a new network, and it's just like deploying to a different yep. Ethereum testnet and so that's pretty cool so that's one of the reasons we had um avalanche absolutely blow up because as i mentioned we had the um, incentivized i'm sorry we had the fund to incentivize blue chip dApps and there wasn't really any work involved for these teams all they had to do was basically deploy to a different network and then support it yeah. so one of the yeah. things we've, we've done is we've enabled this uh, idea of stateful pre-compiles so today, if you're doing something with the EVM and Ethereum, there are some things like cryptographic signatures, for example, which are too cumbersome and too expensive to do in straight up solidity. So we have this idea yep. of stateful precompiles where you can write these advanced features in a different language, for example, Golang or Rustling, and then you can uh, yep. um, compile them and they get a smart contract address. And then you can just call them from your smart contract and it passes the um, the call directly through to the you know whatever you implemented it in. Today you can actually do more with the EVM and Solidity on Avalanche than you can on Ethereum. That's actually true. You can be more expressive and write more powerful smart contracts on Avalanche today because of this idea of stateful precompiles than you can even on Ethereum, which is incredibly exciting. And so on top of that, <clears throat> I myself maintain Avalanche JS, which as I mentioned is our TypeScript and JavaScript library. Yep. So of course, Ethers.js and Web3.js, all of the tools that you use for Ethereum work out of the box. But we also have our own library, which does cross-chain swaps and allows you to spin up your own subnet and launch virtual machines. I maintain that myself. And just in, in um, Berlin, I demoed, actually, it's on my um, subnet.show, plug for my podcast, on my recent episode okay. of our uh, podcast, I demoed spinning up your own subnet, launching a virtual machine on it, and then adding five subnet validators in three minutes using Avalanche JS. And so that's another big thing. We're getting ready to launch our own wallet called Core. So, you know, we very much have been living in the era Interesting. of- yeah, we've been living in the era of MetaMask. You know, MetaMask has been clear. Yep. It's got us where we've needed to go. But there's a lot of things yep. like whenever you are using Avalanche with MetaMask, um, some people are always like, Avalanche doesn't feel as fast as they say it is when I'm using MetaMask. And it's because MetaMask actually takes like seven or eight seconds before a transaction can settle because it's built on the Ethereum network. And it's built um, with Ethereum in mind. So we have an entirely new wallet. We, there's a mobile version. There's a desktop version. There's a browser version. And it's called Core. And it's specifically built for the Avalanche network. So it's going to take in mind our sub-second finality. It's going to take into uh, account subnets and virtual machines. And so I think that's going to be a big player. Um, and then 
we also have built our own custom virtual machines. We have what's called the Blob VM and the um, Spaces VM, which is like a hierarchical key value uh, store. So basically, somebody could use it to implement like a new APFS. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just coming back to the wallet because I think the wallet, you know, we talked about what's the right user experience, right? We talked about stablecoin being a great user experience. We talked about fast finality, but then I think this interface, right, is, is really key. And so when, you know, you know, there've been a lot of wallets that have, you know, each chain, you know, you got the MetaMask, got Kepler, you got Phantom, you got XDeFi, you got, uh, you know, Terra Station, all these different wallets that have been building out and extended, right? You look at those, how, you know, sort of, from a core perspective, ultimately, it's going to be optimized for the Avalanche ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Will it work cross-chain with other coins as well? And and how do you see that sort of, is that, when can we sort of expect that? Because I think that's one thing that also minimizes the bridging for Avalanche. Yes. Yeah, so it, it will be able to work with other ecosystems um, depending on, in the same way that MetaMask ended up working for a bunch of different ecosystems. And they, we were even able to fork MetaMask. If anybody remembers back in the day, yep. there was something called Badger Wallet, which was a, yep. a wallet yeah, yeah, yeah. that we created at Bitcoin.com. And it was a fork of MetaMask. So we even got it to work with something yeah. non-EVM compatible. Um, the core yeah. has been pushed back, I think, once, maybe twice, um, simply because we're going through security audits and stuff like that. But it, it's very, very yeah. It's like on the immediate roadmap. Um, it should be live already. Yeah. So that gives you a sense that yeah. it's, you know, basically. Okay, awesome. Couple- That'll be really, check that out, guys. It's going to be huge. Really, I yeah. think, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think, you know, that, that was, that's sort of one angle, right? And I think, you know, um, having a wallet that, that is ready available in your hand, you know, on the mobile phone, I just think is so important as well. You have to cover and support so many different platforms. I have people want desktop, people want multi-sig, people want Chrome plugins, people want on their mobile phones, right? So how do you build it for that environment, right? It's it's not a simple task. It's it's definitely, and then you've got all your tokens in there. You've got your NFTs in there Mm -hmm. and you've got different tokens across from different chains. Mm -hmm. You've got NFTs from different chains, but also NFTs that are gonna have different purposes, right? You don't just have your paradigm. yeah, there's going to be entirely yeah, exactly. you don't even know about stuff that's going to be happening next year. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's how do you build for that, and what is that open wallet architecture that is needed mm-hmm. for that? You know, to embrace the the extensions that can be done mm-hmm. off the back of a core uh, service, right? Yeah, you yeah. definitely need you um, need people who are blockchain native. So that's one of the things we've been very yeah. fortunate with at Avalab, starting with Goon, literally our CEO and co-founder. Yeah. He created what's called Karma, which was the very first proof yeah. of work payment-like system built in 2003. So, you know, eight years or I'm sorry, uh, whatever it was, five years or so before. Oh, Sat- <laughs> yeah, before Satoshi was he wrote the white paper. He was already solving something called Karma, which is a you know proof of work payment system. So, you know, starting our C-level all the way down, we have a lot of digitally native and blockchain native folks. And then, you know, you have to embrace this, um, the startup ethos of moving fast and being willing to fail. And I think Zuckerberg said, you know, move fast, break often or something like that. And you have to be you have to be a little bit careful because we're dealing with value bearing assets. So we, we live in a unique world yep. where you can't nuke everybody's savings. So we're not saying move fast and, you know, don't worry about shit. But at the same time, 
we have to appreciate that now we're competing with the finest tech startups in the world. And so we're going yep. to bring our super supreme A game from day one. And we have to think about ourselves like tech startups. And so that's certainly how we approach the problem at Ava Labs. We are a tech startup. The cliche I've been using, and I know it's tired, but man, I've been saying this for years, for years, I have been saying that the next Google is going to emerge from the blockchain space. And what I mean by that is um, the blockchain has the potential to be as transformative as the web or the desktop or mobile or social. And so in the same way that Microsoft saw the desktop and was like, wow, we could build an empire on that. And Google saw the web and Facebook saw social. Somebody is going to come along and see the blockchain and appreciate it for what it is and take a stewardship type role and build the next huge startup. And I believe that Ava Labs has the potential to be that team. We're humans and we could blow it. I know that nothing's a given, but, um, the way we are approaching it is we are a fast growing startup and we're working in a field that is very new and emergent, similar to the web. And so there's this absolutely huge potential to have a radical impact, which is going to affect people's lives for generations and to build this system, which is going to transform everything. And so just tr every single day trying to remain inspired, trying to realize that it's a marathon of sprints, trying not to get burnout, but to push myself right to the level, trying to find the best people in the world that are trustworthy and competent and hardworking and creative and easy to get along with. Um, there's just so many dynamics at play. Not only are we dealing with this crazy technology innovation, we're dealing with social innovation and the, what it means to grow teams of people. And so, yeah, that's how we're approaching it is we are a huge, we're, we view ourselves as potentially a huge startup and we're trying to do everything we can um, in that vein to innovate. And that's why, you know, I sort of, why do I call this show super excited, right? No matter what's going on in the rest of the world, I just feel we live in the most exciting time ever, right? I mean, there's so much innovation that's happening. We are now exchanging value at the click of a button, right? And we can put a value to that exchange mm -hmm. as, as we deem appropriate on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, right? Um, and, and to me, that's brilliant. This is the new frontier and that's why it's so exciting. You know, it's like really um, the best time to be alive. I agree. Uh, I do. And so, you know, you may ask, oh, all this depressing thing, we got inflation, stock market's down, crypto's down. Yeah. yeah, but look at all the building we can get done. Right. And we're not limited and we're not restricted by these boundaries that have been layered on after century and, you know, decade or decade and decade and years and years um, just on top of each other so that you can't lift the little pinky without sort of getting permission to sort of elevate it and, and use a muscle. You have to go ask requests to get the muscle and <laughs> connect with the brain. So the, the brain, you know, so yeah, and then you can lift the pinky, right? <laughs> I don't know. That was a shitty analogy, but I just thought it was interesting. You're right though about it being um, the best time ever to be alive. I've, I say that as well. And that makes yeah. me happy to hear you say that because I agree out of all of human history, man, this is the moment. Out of all, you wouldn't even want to be alive 10 or 15 years ago. Like it isn't literally now. We have the potential yeah, to have yeah. such a huge impact. I said it earlier uh, on this podcast, but I'll repeat it because it's a big statement. So Peter Diamandis, the creator of the X Prize, and one of the guys who's super plugged into the Singularity University and all the, that, that whole crew, um, he says that in the next 10 years, we will experience more technological innovation than we did in the previous 100 years. So, you know, just think about yeah. what happened in the last 100 years. It's pretty radical. We're going to experience more yeah. of that in the next 10 years. And then from there, it's going to only accelerate more. So the opportunity yeah. for you to take an idea, spread it around the world, find like-minded people, raise capital and change the world 
is like never before. I mean, just two years ago, there was no avalanche. And think about what we've accomplished in just two years. And so I just want to encourage everybody who's out here who hears this podcast today, like you may think you're late to the game. You may think you're too old. You may think you're too young. You may think you're too poor. You may think you're the wrong gender. All of that is wrong. There's never been a better time yep. of human history to take an amazing idea and to change the world right now. So go do that. Right now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So come and join the community, join Avalanche, be a part of what Avalanche is working on. Find all the developer toolkits um, that are available on Avalanche and we'll, we'll link some of the links below where you can go and find out about it. Reach out to Gabriel. Gabriel, where can people reach and connect you to you with? I mean, is it best on Twitter? Is it uh, the Telegram? Yeah. Where, how Twitter and Telegram. I have the same handle on Twitter and Telegram. So it's C-G-C-A-R-D-O-N-A. So C-G-C-A-R-D-O-N-A at that's my username. So reach out to me on Twitter okay. or Telegram. I'm developer evangelist at Ava Labs and I have a whole team. It's literally our amazing job to help on-ramp people and not just engineers, people of all different stripes into the Avalanche ecosystem. So feel free to ping me and we can figure out how you best fit into the, to the journey. And remember, this is a time where we're going to go from 20 million users to 200 million users, and you can be helped and be a part of helping shape that, yep. right? There's a lot of, there are not many people building in this space, and there's a lot of opportunity for everybody that's starting to build. So super excited again to have Gabriel here. Um, always amazing, super smart, super fun, and a lot of insights from Avalanche, and check it out. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. This was Stefan Roost and Gabriel Cardona. You can follow Gabriel on Twitter at CGCardona, that's C-G-C-A-R-D-O-N-A, and Avalanche at Avalanche Avax, that's A-V-A-L-A-N-C-H-E-A-V-A-X. You can also follow Stefan on Twitter at SRoost99, that's S-R-U-S-T-99, and you can find the super excited with Stefan Roos podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roos channel. Thank you for listening.